Wesley, folks, and welcome back to The Pursuit. This is episode 007 of The Pursuit, the official podcast of the Tarleton Wesley Foundation, where we talk about all things that may or may not come up in the life of college students. You know, a couple episodes back, you'll remember we tackled the age-old question, is cereal soup? And you heard it here first, no, cereal is not soup. That's weird. Cereal is not soup. Don't give me that look. Eric, don't, don't look at me like that, Eric. Some of the stuff we talk about is going to be specific to Tarleton, but a lot of it's not. Through the episodes of this podcast, we'll talk about questions of theology that students have. You know, the big buzzword right now is, is deconstruction, if you want to use that word. We'll talk about video games, books, movies, current events. But as we've already discussed early on in this podcast today, a lot of nonsense. I'm Reverend Corey Moses, pastor and director of the Wesley Foundation at Tarleton State University, and it's a good one for you today. We're going to tackle some good stuff. Each week, I'll have a guest co-host joining on the podcast to help lead our topic of the day. Uh, Sometimes it'll be from our board of directors. Some will be clergy friends and colleagues across our conference. Sometimes it'll be Tarleton faculty, staff. Uh, And sometimes on occasion, you'll even get a chance, as you already have if you've been keeping up with us, to listen from, to hear from one of our student leaders. Uh, With me today is the anime aficionado, and when I say anime aficionado, listen, this guy went to an important conference Board of Ordained Ministry meeting where he had to give a report to the Board of Ordained Ministry cosplayed as an anime character. Yes, the anime aficionado, Reverend Eric Douglas. Eric, welcome to The Pursuit. Well, thanks for having me, Corey. That, uh, I, you know, I forgot I did that. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> you are live. You know damn well you did that. You were talking about it yesterday. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure that was the intro I was going to get. I, I get a lot of introductions, and that's, that's not the one. That, that's not one I've ever had before. Uh, this, this is the guy that showed up at the meeting in a weird suit. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was really funny, though, because half the people in the room just thought it was a nice green suit. <laughs> the other half of the people in the room were like, wow, Eric hasn't shaved in like seven years. And I forgot that he looks like he's 12 when he yeah. doesn't have a beard. Yeah. And like two people who have teenage children are like, wait, you <laughs> recognize that? Okay, so for our listeners that may recognize, tell us who you were cosplayed as. Um, I was uh, Lloyd Forger Lloyd from Forger. Spy Family. Okay, so give us a quick rundown of this anime. Um, Spy Family is a drama set in um, post-World War II, Cold War era, uh, in between states that are modeled after East and West Germany, and it's, it's a kind of a spy drama. And it's, it's about a – the big theme is really about chosen families. So you have a spy who doesn't have a family anymore, and then you have an assassin, and she, doesn't, she has a brother left, but that's it. And, and then you have this orphan, and somehow the three of them get paired together as a fake family, but then they start acting like a real family. That's, that's the whole storyline. So it's, okay. it's one of the ones that my girls and I – and my wife, who will never admit she does this, <laughs> but she does watch it with us. Yeah. So – Season three is out now. So what would you say is your all-time favorite anime? My all-time favorite anime? Um, that's hard. That's a, I don't know if I could pick one. Okay. Um, I would say the, I would say if there's one that had perfect pacing and story, 
it'd be Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Not the first Full Metal okay. Alchemist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that, a difference. That is a big difference. A Brotherhood had better pacing. And okay. some of the most gut-wrenchingly sad scenes that you can imagine. Oh, wow. So have you watched the live-action adaptation of no, One Piece yet? No, I haven't yet. I heard it's... I really liked it. I've, I've heard people like it. Um, I just... There's some stories, like one, I never really got into One Piece. I haven't watched One Piece. I've never watched an episode of One Piece before. I haven't read it. I haven't watched it. And uh, Well, it's a little daunting to try to jump into a show that has like a thousand episodes out. On yeah, it. that's and that's part of it. And, and the story just isn't super captivating to me. It's not my thing. Okay. Um, but I, I've, some of my friends really, really love the live we, action. We... we we're going to have some listeners coming for you in the comments after that comment, dude. Dude, One Piece, <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's good, I guess. I haven't watched it. I, I'm not, it's I'm, good, I guess. I'm not out here calling it mid or anything. Like, <laughs> Easy now. It's okay. Easy. <laughs> no, uh, no uh, um, there's mostly the anime I, I like narrative that grips like narrative yeah, 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 that no, just, I get that that just pulls you in and like you'll watch 10 episodes and and two things have to happen in those 10 episodes for me because a lot of anime only have one season they don't get renewed so they're like 10 to 12 episodes and in those those 10 to 12 episodes it ain't black clover it ain't black clover <laughs> you know there's 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 two things that have to happen for me one the narrative has to pull me in so much that I don't want to quit watching sure and even through the filler episodes. Even through the filler episodes. But if you're only doing one season, you don't have a lot of filler That's episodes. That's true. It's just it's bam, bam, story after story. That's true. The second thing that really draws me is I have to experience every single emotion in oh, those yeah. 10 to 12 episodes. Yeah. And many of them you will. So, um, you know, there's... There's one anime that's on my watch list. I haven't watched it yet because I don't know if I'm emotionally ready for it. Okay. But is it Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's a uh, uh, Dragon Ball Z. Oh my gosh! No, it's a uh, it's a uh, cyberpunk edge runners. I still oh, I've watched it. Uh, and, man, and in that that show is supposed to mess you up. Oh man, you're supposed to feel every you, single emotion. Yeah, it's oh man, especially there's there's a there's an event that happens at the end. Man, it you're just like y'all just went for the throat on this one, man. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Lee. Um, there's a, there's another really good one that, that in 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 an opposite way was extremely. You feel every yeah every emotion in the show is a. I watched a year or so ago eighty six. Oh yeah, I watched it. Yeah, and like eighty six is it's tough, man. It is an emotional roller coaster. You will feel all of the feelings, and then like you get to the very end in. And the last song rolls right before the credits, and it's just mm. like mm, it hits, and it hits hard. Yeah, that one was that one was hard to watch. It was re- really well written, though, really well written. So, no, but the the thing that really got <clears throat> the thing that really like grasped me about the medium is that it it deals with stories in a way that our culture doesn't really deal with them. Sure, because it it deals with things that are oftentimes not entertaining for us in America yeah. to deal with. But it does so in a way that you feel entertained. I mean, you know, uh, 86, the, the AMA I just mentioned, you know, some of the major plot devices are, you know, how do you recover from PTSD? There's a right. whole arc 
where the main four characters are trying to grapple with their PTSD, and they each do it in a different way. Yeah. And they, they go on for like two or three episodes about that. Um, an overarching motif in the whole thing is, is what, what does war do to children? You know, how yeah. does it emotionally change people? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this, this other, other, other overarching issue that's going on throughout the whole series is this, this theme of racism and how racism impacts the decisions people make day in and day out. When you don't realize it. When you don't realize it. <clears throat> and that's the thing is like the whole first half of the episode, they don't realize the inherent racism. And even the people that save the folks who are oppressed mm-hmm. have their own inherent subtle racism. That's right. That's playing through the whole thing. And you get to the end and you you understand by the end of, I think, like episode 12 or 13, why these four people feel alone wherever they go. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just for me, that's powerful. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I, I watched that one. Uh, I, I mean, I've watched several, obviously, but uh, yeah, that 86 is a good one. So if you listen, looking for the next good anime to watch, check out 86. Um, it's a good one. And I, I was going to say, I'm, you know, the ones I'm currently going through is uh, <clears throat> I'm currently watching uh, a re-watching because they're about to release the next season of uh, ReZero. Okay. I don't and know um, it's a isekai. So isekai is this whole genre where the main plot device is someone gets transported to a right, 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 right. And yeah. usually it's like reincarnation <clears throat> themed. It's like someone dies. Usually they get hit by a truck. There's a whole trope mm-hmm. in that medium called truck coon where the mm-hmm. truck comes out of nowhere and hits someone and they're suddenly wake up in another world. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one, it, it's a, it's a actually more, you think it's like a drama. It's all magical and fairy tale like. And you realize in the first four episodes, no, this is a character study of what happens when people deal with trauma. Mm. And the main character has to deal with trauma over and over and over again. And it's less him trying to decide how do I save everyone and do the right thing and, and figure out what's going on here and there and everywhere. But it's the main character having to deal with the fact that every time life resets for him, Mm. it's a traumatic event. And how does he deal with the building trauma as he's going through and how does he deal with it in a healthy way? Yeah. So, wow. Well, Eric, before we go any further, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so that our listeners can kind of get to know a little bit more about you um, who are you and why are you here? Um, my name is Eric Douglas. I am the pastor at Rockbridge Church in Cedar Park, Texas. It's one of the church plants in our, our regional United Methodist Conference, so the middle of the state pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know where Cedar Park is, that's down kind of north Austin, so uh, down Highway 183 right outside of Austin. And so we uh, we started there back in March, and um, other than that, I'm... I'm an elder in the United Methodist Church. I've been serving churches in the Central Texas area since like 2009. Um, weird, it's it's been a while, and uh, and so I've served churches all over the place in in this Central Texas area. You know, I've been down south near Austin before. I've been far out west here, yeah. up in Mineral Wells for a few years. <clears throat> served some churches in the Metroplex and far north Fort Worth and the heart of the Metroplex over by DFW airport, you know, kind of been all over the place in central Texas. Um, other than that, uh, one of the things that I've always enjoyed for the last handful of years is I've served on the board of directors here at the Charlton Wesley Foundation. And 
the current board chair. So I get all of the fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I was someone that earlier asked me how long I had been at, at the West. And I said, well, this is year seven. And I, I just, you know, anytime ask, ask me that, um, I, I reflect over the past seven years and, uh, man, it's been, it's been a lot. It's been, it's been a long seven years. I mean, it's it's not been unlike everyone else in the world, you know, trying to navigate a, a global pandemic, you know, and, and how trying to figure out just like every other business and church, you know, as a Wesley Foundation, how trying to navigate and figure out how how we are to be in ministry to students on a university campus when there are no students on a university campus. <laughs> well, I think it was it's, it's been interesting because here one of the interesting things the Wesley here from the board perspective, at least, is that the organization's gone through three major shifts. That's in that right. Time period. You know, we, well, you can almost say four because you, you've got a new pastor. Right. Any, anyone who's ever been in the church world or if you've been in any organization where the top position changes, it changes the whole organization. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, and so you saw here at the Wesley, you, you had that transition, but right after that transition almost, we went to a pandemic. Yeah. And, I think you were here for like 24 months before the pandemic. Yeah, we had we had kind of just kind of stabilized that pastor turnover. We had just stabilized that. And then it's, hey, you're going to be doing your classes online for the rest of the semester. Hey, you can't leave your house for the summer. Just give us two weeks. <laughs> two more weeks. Flatten the curve in two weeks. And so, as you know, we went through that. And that, I remember those were some of our roughest board meetings. Oh, like, man. What do, we, what do we even do? And, yeah, and you know, out of out of all of that, it became that group that started playing games together, and and it got to the point I think where we were playing like scheduled times yeah. twice a day. We'd get on like you know around lunchtime, mm-hmm. one o'clock every single day. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, because you couldn't leave the house. Yeah, couldn't and, do anything else. <laughs> and then we would we'd all meet up again online at like uh, I don't know, like seven, eight o'clock at mm-hmm. night. Back yeah. when I could stay up late. Yeah, and <laughs> and so. You know, out of that that process, that first big big hiccup came some of that, and then one of the things that happened, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, but you know, re-entering kind of a normal pattern of life in society after the pandemic was another big shift. Oh yeah, and so we had to discover again now that we've essentially taken a pause as an organization for I don't know twelve eighteen months. Yeah. That's right. How do we how do we restart? How do we re, re yeah rebegin? Yeah, and and so that was man, that was the big struggle that and and this really wasn't the point of the conversation for today, but that's okay. It's it's, it's good to to kind of revisit this. Um, is you know the big, <coughs> that's I choke on water. But no, I think I think it's good to kind of revisit this process because. We, we at that point when, when the university released, hey, we're going to go back on, on campus, we're going to have you know limited activities, social distancing and all that. And then it was, well, do we take this opportunity to build something new or kind of try to live into what we already had before? And I think, I honestly think if I could go, if, if, if I were to, you know, rewind, I would, I would say, no, let's. Let's build something completely new. That's not what the TARDIS sounds like, I'm afraid. No, it's not. But it's what a, it's what a rewinding <laughs> tape from the 80s sounds like. But, oh, um, man. Yeah. 
but no, I, I think I think we 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 should have taken the opportunity to to rebrand, to remarket, um, and be a little more intentional about how we were going to come out of that space into something new. Well, I think we we did here in a way switching. I mean, some of the landscape and the coming out. Cause that's kind of the second big transition that we went through at the Wesley here in that time period is, you know, that period when we came out of that, we made a major shift from, we didn't want to try to just rebuild what had been right. and have a regular worship service That's right. and do regular things. We shifted to a dinner church model That's right. where, you know, it, it's more intentionally sacramental. And, and the few times I've been, because I've been all over the place as a pastor sure. doing other things and, the few times I've been, what's interesting is there's there's meaningful discussion behind topics, and sometimes the topics aren't, you know, the most exciting. We talked about our first Thessalonians two last night. Yeah, and that conversation it it honestly went a direction that I was not anticipating it going. Mm-hmm. I mean, and in, in the best way. Um, that's what I love about these students, man. Their their brains are always moving and always thinking and. The question, like I, I, and you and I talked about beforehand, I went into dinner church with questions that I had for them. Yeah. But the questions that they had were much better questions. <laughs> and, I, you know, the the give and take, the push and pull, the yeah. dialogue, I think, is what is missing from a lot of church experience. Yeah. Well, the, the second week that we did dinner church, it doubled our attendance. And that's, and that's the kind of thing that's, I think, powerful. Because you go to so many churches, and it's a guy like me at the front talking. And if you ask, you know, I'm talking for 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes. If you ask my youngest daughter, it's always an hour and a half. <laughs> and it's it probably an hour and a half. Oh, I'm, <laughs> and so it's, it's one way street. It, it's, yeah. it's no different than what they experience in their lecture where, That's right. where someone stands up who is the, the knowledgeable person in the room and they just pontificate for a while. Mm-hmm. And, they don't get a dialogue. And I, to me, I think that doesn't create community. Well, and it doesn't create space for questions because it's, it's very different to say, hmm, I listened to this sermon and now I have more questions. That means I've got to take time out of my schedule, out of my routine, out of my day to go track down this guy that was up there speaking or gal and ask him this question or, you know, the model that we have at dinner church, it's, it's based on questions. It's, it, it centers around this discussion. Well, you said this, but what is like, for instance, last night, Matthew, he, you know, he was asking, you know, well, what does it mean to examine your hearts? Well, what do, well, how do we know when something is wrong? You know? And, and those are, and those are honestly hard questions that churches and pastors yeah. and people struggle with every day. And it's, there are no simple answers in that space. No, there's not. And that's what's one of the unique things about the way this ministry is structured, or I shouldn't say ministry, this part of the ministry is structured, is that they actually get to bring those questions in dialogue with people who studied it. And the great thing is we all walk away and we don't all necessarily agree on the same thing, but we still love each other one the same. That's that's, right. That's what's good. But uh, going on, that was kind of the second one. The second major thing we went through at the Wesley is we, we had that shift to coming out of the pandemic and we, we chose instead of doing normal worship where, you know, you got three songs and a sermon, you know, kind of, yeah, essentially <laughs> tongue in cheek. Right, and, right, right, right. 
to doing this more dialogue and, and, and experience around the table, which is, I think has been really great in, in essentially relaunching the Wesley after yeah. the pandemic. And then there's this, this last third and, and final shift that's been somewhat difficult to manage, and that is Tarleton as a institution essentially coming into their own, going up to D1. And yeah, that's been interesting to, to observe. Uh, I, I didn't, of course, I don't, I don't really keep up with college sports. Um, well, I don't really keep up with any sports. That's just, that's just not my thing. But I did not in any world, it, it was not anywhere on my radar, how much that shift was going to impact not just Tarleton, but the community of Stephenville. Mm-hmm. I mean, businesses popping up right and left. We went from being a dry county to a wet county. So now we got liquor stores everywhere. They're selling, they're selling alcohol at the football games now. They're, you can buy beer on campus at the pizza place. Um, and, and so, and Greek life got amped up to 11 as, as a result. Uh, you know, we have, I heard them say, at homecoming, the alumni uh, that were announcing for the parade, Tarleton, I think, I, I'm assuming at this campus, but maybe it's over both campuses, but they have 17,000 students enrolled right now. And that's, I mean, that kind of transition. Um, and 51% of our students are first-generation college students. That kind of transition for an institution is, is a major, it, it leaves waves, because a community, you know, yeah. communities... Uh, are, are these patchwork quilts of institutions and peoples and things. And when one of the central institutions comes into their home like that, it's like dropping a rock in a yeah. pond and all the waves are pour out and they, they affect all the things around them. And you see it as kind of the waves work their way through the bigger community of Stephenville and Erath County. You see, you see stores popping up. I mean, y'all get in a hobby lobby for, for a town that is, this yeah, we, far yeah. west of I thirty five. When you guys got a Hobby Lobby, that was kind of a big deal. Yeah, and well, and Old Navy, and uh, what's the the jewelry guy? Um, James Avery. James Avery. We got a James Avery. Yeah, uh, and so you get all these things. That's just <coughs> the ripples. You see some of the ripples in the way the the community responds. You know, yeah. with the Greek life, the drinking thing, um, and then you you see it even outside, farther away, as as people come in that. People who would never even have thought that Stephenville was a place that existed yeah. are now going to come live here for a few years to get an education. I mean, just because you made that shift from one division to the other. And that right. that is the kind of thing an organization like the Wesley Foundation, you know, we, you've got to account for. And a lot of people don't realize how big of a shift that is. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that change when you go from a sleepy, small, rural college to a division one school. And now you're kind of playing the big leagues. Oh yeah. Well, good deal. So many episodes, we go through our little interview deck cards here. Um, I mean, let's be honest, Eric, without these cards, we would never have been able to answer such groundbreaking questions as is cereal soup. We, we have done the hard work because of these questions, these, these cards. Okay. So, uh, so I'm going to draw a card for you and then you'll draw one for me. All right. Um, you know, let's go with what the heck are they, are they themed by color? Uh, what are they themed by color? Like the green ones harder or something? No. Okay. Uh, what slogan or jingle got stuck in your head forever? 
Oh. I, can, I can put one in your head right now. Okay. Is it an old man dancing to the Six Flags? No, no, no. There's a better one. A better one. We, uh, so me and, and one, of, one of my best friends and his younger brother, all three of us uh, are in our families. We all go on a little vacation every uh, October on the long holiday weekend in okay. October. And we, we've been a few places. Like, we've been to the coast a couple times. This year, we went to New Braunfels and got an Airbnb for the three-day weekend. Oh, nice. And our Airbnb was beside Schlitterbahn. Of course it was. <laughs> and and this, this shows you how bad of a parent I've been for my teenage daughters. We pull up beside it, and they're like, what is that? <laughs> and, and so we decide to walk to dinner. There's like this, uh, this restaurant. No, we walk to get ice cream. Excuse me. We walk to get ice cream. And there's this ice cream place, and we actually have to walk around a whole section of the park. <laughs> and so it's, it's like a five or six block walk. And again, we just ignored them the first time because mm-hmm. we're busy trying to get the Airbnb unpacked, you know, vacation stuff. And so we're walking this time and, and they're like, what is that huge? And I turn around and I go, it's only the hottest, coolest time. <laughs> Come play. Schlitterbahn. Yeah. And, and my, my youngest daughter looks at me and says, dad, you are not cool. <laughs> but that's genius marketing, man. Because oh, yeah. it worked. Oh, yeah. It stuck in my head for like 20 years. Yeah. Hottest, coolest time. It's like so. <laughs> and now we all have that. And if you don't know about the hottest, coolest time, <laughs> Are you getting paid for this? No, I'm not. I'm not sponsored. Uh, Schlitterbahn would my like sponsor. to sponsor my church. Um, not a sponsor. We are we are in Cedar Park, Texas, Rockbridge Church. Um, not a sponsor. New Hope Drive. <laughs> okay, let me draw one for you, so I can pick anyone. You can pick anyone. So, okay, um, let's do what the heck. Okay, that's a green one for everyone at home. What is the longest you've ever waited in line for something, and what was it? Oh, man. It, it's got to be at Universal Studios, just trying to ride a ride. I that mean, sounds miserable. I mean, we sit in line for an hour and a half, man. That's, mm-hmm. I, I got, listen, I, I'm at a point in my life, I do not, I do not understand the hype of theme parks anymore. Like, I have no desire to go to Six Flags, to go to Universal, to go to Schlitterbahn, the hottest, coolest time in Texas, not a sponsor. Um, I, I just, I have no desire to do that. <laughs> but because, like, I, I don't want to pay obscene amounts of money for food and drink and parking and deal with the crowds and, and you know, living here in Steamville, you got to drive forever to get to any of them to begin with. Uh and so, yeah, but yeah, I think, you know, it wasn't like customs or something at the airport. I've been there. I've been in security. Lines. I mean, I was, I was flying back from Portland once. Um, one of the times we were up there, I think I was up there with friends or something and, and we were coming back from Oregon and the line for security at the Portland airport was almost yeah. two hours long. Yeah. Uh, I thought I was going to die. Yeah, we had to wait for a considerable amount of time in Fort Lauderdale, coming back from Costa Rica. But that it, it wasn't as long as the line at Universal. 
man. All right, I'm going to do another one for you. Let's do some Would You Rather. Ooh. Not going to do that one. <laughs> Here you go. Would you rather be forced to high-five everyone you make eye contact with or strike up conversations with at least five strangers a day? <laughs> Both equally awkward. <laughs> Like so, so I need some. I need some more details. Like, if we do the high fiving, like, do I have to awkwardly introduce myself? Like, are they going to be resistant to the high five? I, I, I don't know. Or, or like, are they are they in on it? Do they know it's coming? That's or, that's a good question. Or, I mean, because in, introducing yourself to strangers implies that they don't know it's coming. Well, it doesn't say introduce. It says strike up conversation with at least five strangers a day. Which, I mean, every extrovert listening right now is like, shoot, I'll, I'll do either one. I don't care. But me, the uh, introvert, I'm like, I don't want to do either one. See, I don't, like, <laughs> I don't necessarily – I have a, a short battery, and when I'm depleted, it's depleted. Right. So, um, i got to go home. Like, I do this in pastoral care. Like, sure. I, I, I can do about three to four hospital visits a yeah, day. No, I get it. And then I'm done. Like, I can't go to the office. I can't write that day. i got to go home and be by myself and cry in the corner somewhere. Um, I'll take a bubble bath. Yes, I have to go take a bubble bath. For, for everyone who doesn't know, um, in, in the gaming ministry here at uh, the Wesley Foundation, nine times out of ten, when Corey or one of the students or someone messages me to jump in and play with them, I'm at home, it's evening, I'm probably taking a bubble bath. Or you're asleep. Or I'm already asleep. <laughs> so, But beyond that, uh, I don't know, like the high-fiving one, that, that conjures images in my mind. Like I was running at the gym this morning and, and like I made eye contact in the mirror with this guy <laughs> and like he was not having the best day of his life oh, no. trying to squat. Oh no. And like you make awkward eye contact in the mirror and like I'm just over there running on the yeah. machine and he's like dying under the squat press and, <laughs> and we for just a moment lock eyes. In you the shared mirror. a moment, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and I felt bad for him and and it just it, I mean to be fair he was doing squats he was doing no squats. Squats. that's just weird and so and so like would I have, like I have to go up and high five <laughs> yeah you'd have to go you'd have to interrupt your run and go over him mid squat and get a high five <laughs> probably kill the guy and so I don't I don't I probably I would honestly I, it's not my 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 cup of tea but I'd probably do the second one. Yeah, it's definitely less awkward. I think. I think I I, I could do that and and then because I mean go home and take a bubble bath and fall asleep. Yeah, I mean because like hey how are you good you okay good I mean that's technically a conversation. Would you, would you, right? I, I would I think it'd be more in depth. You have to learn a little bit about them and and like who they are where they're from and like I don't know something about them. <laughs> It's like I'm introducing you to a new class or something. This is the real question, yeah. What what constitutes a conversation? Well, I mean, you know, I think a conversation is something more substantial than hi, how are you, and you lie and say everything's great, and you move on. I think it's something where you, you share a little bit about yourself and or learn a little bit about the other person. All right. Cool. It's the, it's the gateway to a relationship. It is. Draw a card for me. All right, your last card. 
Let's see. Let's do interviewer deck second edition. Okay. What would be the worst ingredients to fill a burrito with? Mushrooms and fresh tomatoes. Those are fighting words. I don't care. Dude, mushrooms are and the cilantro. best. And cilantro. Mushrooms are the best. No. <laughs> Dude, go to like, we have H Mart down where we are, which is an, like Asian HB kind of. And they have a whole section of random weird mushrooms that are all fresh. And you can take them and cook them various ways. They all taste great. You know, it's interesting. So as I'm thinking more through, so I answered that question assuming that we're only talking about food ingredients. Yeah. There's definitely far worse things to put in a burrito than a mushroom or a fresh tomato. I mean, edible tarantulas would be pretty bad. Um, You know, dog poo would be pretty bad. That'd make a pretty bad burrito. (laughs) You know, saying unless you're a dog, you might like it. No, that'd be cat pee or cat poo. You ever have a dog eat out of the litter box? That's so gross, man. <laughs> how, did, how did we get here? How did we get here? Oh, my gosh. Brought to you by ADHD. Thank you. Um, anyways, no, uh, yeah. I, I I think there's there's a lot worse. Like, you could put in a burrito things that don't belong there, like... You know, Brussels sprouts and... Ah, Brussels sprouts are okay. Cook them with some bacon and some sun-dried tomatoes. They're not healthy, then. Who said they had to be healthy? Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, olives. Because all, uh, all olives are disgusting. Uh, you get those garlic-stuffed olives. No olive is Come good. On. No olive Come is good. Mm-hmm. You got problems, man. Dude, chocolate? Mm-mm. You got a real problem. Dude, man. I don't like chocolate. You got problems. It's just, it's not good. What's the matter with you? Well, I ask my wife a lot. So, <laughs> oh, she got answers. <laughs> she got answers, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Moving right along. <laughs> well, on that note, Eric, before we get into the topic of the day, let's talk about our spare time. Uh, take a minute, Eric. Tell us what are you what are you reading? What are you playing? I know you're you, you're way into video games. What are you watching? Any and all of the above. Oh wow! Um, so honestly, I started a new church. Like I didn't start the church. I, I moved. I got yeah. we would say in the United States, church got reappointed or I got appointed to a new church right. back in March. And so I've been there about a little over six months, almost seven months now. And the first three months, I actually had to commute. From right. my home in DFW down to Austin. Quite a commute. Yeah, it's about three hours. Gross. And uh, so I didn't have a whole lot of free time. I spent a lot of time uh, listening to some podcasts, mm-hmm. listening to stuff on Spotify. I have a, a mishmash of liked music. I just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the typical guy on Spotify. I, I like <laughs> stuff and I jo- generate this giant liked playlist. Oh, yeah. And I just shuffle it. So yeah, you'll have like what I do. the most random stuff. Yep. You'll have some, some, song from high school come up and then you have like the most emotional classical song come up and then you'll have like uh, outcast pop yeah. in and you're just like what yeah. but it works it and works. so you know there's been a lot of that uh since then i really haven't had a whole lot of downtime to pick back up anything um i, I peruse a lot of things for work my wife reads vicariously and so she she can finish like a two or three hundred page book in a night and, no. 
And so what she says is she says, I don't really read. I skim. And which and there's some truth to that. Cause I do a it's, lot of research for it's graduate school reading. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. So I, I always have a lot of books I'm going through in that vein and kind of on, on the religious end or the work end or the, the church end, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I've been rereading uh, James Ryan Smith's good and beautiful God. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that every now and then it's, it's a great refresher and primer. I to be fully transparent, I'm rereading it because I'm doing it for a sermon yeah. series I'm working on. Good. And his his view of God, his view of God, and how that meshes in with what it means to be a disciple is is extremely just meaningful to me. It it takes this idea of God and following God is more of a path we walk or a, a journey we go or. Really, the way he describes it is we are apprenticed to God through Jesus, and and we we imitate what Christ does, and we change through intention, not through force. And he, he comes right out of the gate at the start of the book and talks about, like, you know, you, you can't will yourself just with sheer power of will to change. Like, yeah. you see this every year during the illustration I think he uses, every year you see it during the... Uh, Turn of the year, start of the oh, new yeah. year, resolutions. Resolutions. They all, almost it. always always fail because all you're doing is willing yourself to change. You're not actually, you know, developing intentionality about right. how I'm going to pattern my life to change. And he does it in three ways. He says, you know, you got to start with what you think. If if you've studied counseling or psychology, the first part of his his process sounds a lot like cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy. Like yeah. you got to change the way you think or your automatic thoughts to change the way you act and feel. Mm. And so he does this in his book through what he calls addressing false narrative. So mm. we've all learned false narratives about things, about ourselves, about God. And so we have to go back and, and relearn the right narrative or mm-hmm. the correct narrative. And then once you've done that, you have to develop <coughs> some sort of disciplined practice around that new narrative. And then when you've done that, to make sure it sticks, you have to do it in community. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah. And so you see that um, almost anywhere you go and you see major significant change in a person, they've, they've changed the way they think first, and then they've changed the way they, uh, they behave through disciplined action, and then they change their community. So mm-hmm. they make sure they get involved with people yeah. that can support them in that change. Okay. And one more time, give us a name and author of that book. That is James Ryan Smith, The Good and Beautiful God. Good and Beautiful God. Okay. Um, other than that, like uh, I've, I haven't been playing a whole lot of video games. I have been jumping on with the campus ministry here a few times, maybe once or twice a week yeah. at most. Yeah. And uh, been getting a little bit back into Apex Legends. Uh, for anyone interested, I'm mostly a support player, so I play healing, healing yep. characters. Yep. Uh, Find myself in Overwatch every now and then, <laughs> yeah. playing Mercy, and I main Mercy, and you know the team does well if I'm there. Because, <laughs> if Mercy doesn't rely on aim. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you you're not wrong. All, all I gotta do is point that healing stick in the vague direction one of you are, and pull the trigger, and and the stream of healing will find you. I can be pointing at a wall, and you can be like on the other side of the map, and the stream of healing will find you. Yeah, maybe that's a sermon illustration. The stream of healing will find you. Yeah, we could we could write a song. The stream of healing will find you. It's gonna be the sickest EMD beat ever in the 
Mm-hmm. In the style of Amy Grant. Gosh. <laughs> Michael W. Smith, the no. stream of healing will find oh, you. Oh, so that reminds me, that reminds me, <laughs> on, a, on a quick side note, I was in staff meeting, one of my first staff meetings at the new church, and we'd hired a children's director. And our children's director is, is she, I, I sorely appreciate her so much because she is the, the spouse of the Episcopal priest at the Episcopal mm-hmm. church, yeah. our church. And so she's been in the church world for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And she's just very transparent and sure. blunt, which if you're in the church world for a while, you, you value, you've learned to value right. that a lot. Right. And we walked into a staff meeting and I was talking about music selection and worship. I can't remember why. And she said, oh, you mean those Jesus is your boyfriend songs? <laughs> and I had never heard that description of contemporary American Christian music. It's not, a, it's not inaccurate. And, and I... I sat there in like a stupor for like a good 20 seconds to the point where like the other staff were like, are you okay? And, and I said, what? And, and, and I was like, no, I've never heard that before, but it makes the most sense. And then, and I was sitting there listening to the worship set the next Sunday. I'm like, wow, these really do sound like songs. Like my teenage self would send a girl to try to impress her. Or, or a girl would send to me as a teenager to try to impress right. me. So, like, I was like, man, she is right. <laughs> These are Jesus is my boyfriend songs. Um, not to detract from their deep meaning. Uh, some of them have deep meaning. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, but other than that, other than that, I, uh, I want to talk a little bit more Hey, cut this. So, not to belittle the the deeper meaning of Jesus is my boyfriend music, <laughs> but uh, as far as as what we're watching, like I said, I'm I'm kind of rewatching uh, ReZero, getting ready for the next season to drop. Okay, um, there's a lot of really good shows coming out as far as anime that I watch uh, that we're kind of prepping for. But other than that, I've been trying to get caught up on some shows. I, so one of the funny things about the genre of shows I watch is you always have a long watch list that you're, you're planning to watch. Yeah. And like that list grows longer and longer and longer and you don't have enough time to watch any of it. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down thinking, I'm going to get into a new show and you end up watching some show you've already watched yep. sometimes. So, well, and TikTok, man, I'll be scrolling through TikTok and it's all like movie scenes. And I'm like, oh, what movie is that? That looks really good. So now my watch list is getting yeah. longer and longer and longer. Yeah, it's it's <clears throat> one of those things. It's just like, man, I'm, I don't know. I will say we watched one of the most ridiculous comedy animes. My, my wife is the most loving and caring person. And even though she has zero interest in some of the things I do, she will, she will venture to watch or dabble in them just to understand the context I live in. And so... We, we were trying to decide on a show to watch, and she picked an anime for us to watch. Now, she knows nothing about anime. Yeah. And she picked a show solely because it was Oh, that's right. I remember you telling me about this. Like, the, 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 the title card looked interesting. And I, I can't remember the name of it, but the tagline was Muscles and Magic. Yeah, yeah, Muscles and Magic. And yeah. it, was, it was nothing but... <laughs> because Muscles. <laughs> 
it was it was nothing but the most ridiculous comedy anime making That's fun hilarious. of the whole muse or the whole magical fantasy genre. <laughs> like every episode made fun of Harry Potter in some way. Nice. And they'd be they'd be having like a, a spell battle. And and the whole trope is the main character has no magic. He's just really strong. <laughs> and he's not like inhumanly strong. He's just well, I guess you could say he kind of is, but he's really strong just because he trained a lot. Like, yeah. there's no no innate ability. He's not special in any way. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's defeating the whole the whole trope of the special chosen one by just being a random guy that That's worked hilarious. out a lot. And so they're they're doing like, like one punch man. They're doing like essentially, and they're doing like wizard battles, <laughs> and like you know the whole like Harry Potter. They're screaming, and, and, and to be fully transparent, I've I've never read. And I've only never read Harry, any of the Harry Potter books. I've only watched one or two of the movies. Just, it's not my jam. And, yeah. that, and now the comment section's really angry. He doesn't <laughs> like chocolate and olives. He thinks One Piece is mid, and he's never read <laughs> Harry Potter. Wow, who is this guy? Uh, um, I immediately regret bringing you on this podcast. I thought you would. And so, um, <laughs> but it's funny. So they're, they're, they're dueling, I guess you call it, and, and they're yelling spells. And like, he literally just comes up and punches someone. You're like... <laughs> That's amazing. And, like, to make it funnier, they're yelling spells, so he feels awkward. So he starts making up fake spell names. Oh, my gosh, that's just amazing. the name of the muscle group he's using. <laughs> Quadriceps! Yeah. That's amazing. Quadricep magic and kick someone. It's just like... <laughs> that's amazing. Love it. And I, mean, I, I asked I asked Brittany, I'm like, what did you expect? <laughs> And she's like, I'm not sure, but I was expecting muscles. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, that, that's the most recent thing we've watched. Okay. So anyway, um, that's me. Uh, what about you? What are you? What are you? What are you into right now? Yeah, huh. I'm trying to remember. Oh, I'm reading this new book. It's not a new book. I'm rereading a book. It's by Ruth Haley Barton. Um, it's called Invitation to Solitude and Silence. And man, she just, she just talks about how, how we as, as a society are, are just like, we, we don't know what to do with silence yet. We as human beings desperately need those, that space of silence and, and not just, not just silence to like quiet our minds and to, you know, shut down and reset, but silence to just, just be with God and be in that space with God. Uh, and I know it, it seems so, it sounds so simple. Um, and it seems like, like, and it seems so obvious, but at the same time, we don't do it. And so it's, it's a, it's a little books. It's, it's easy read. And she kind of, she kind of goes through some concrete ways that you can kind of stair step yourself into a longer space of silence. So start small, find this rhythm for your breathing you know that sort of thing, and and it's it's been it's been really really good. Um, I use a an app called Pray As You Go. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great little app. It's free. You can use it as like a prayer journal, but I use it because every day they have um, an audible like de- devotion thing to go along with the lectionary reading for the day. And it's there's always it's kind of like a little ten to twelve minute little meditative space where. They start with some some uh, reflective music, and then they'll they'll read the text for the day, and then then they'll they'll go through this like, 
have you thought about this? Like as, as you're approaching the scripture and, and just a little devotional, and then they read the passage again and they're like, think about this. And then they offer a few moments of, of silence where you can pray about it. And, um, and then they, they end it with the doxology and, you know, it's amazing because every voice that they use is like the most soothing voice to listen to. And they're like, today's reading is from Luke's gospel. ASMR. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's calming. It's soothing. Um, as far as video games, man, I have been playing the mess out of Disney Speedstorm. Oh yeah, you keep sending me messages it about is, that. It is a if you're into man, if, if you like Disney and you like Mario Kart, ooh wee, it's fun. So the only I, I have known people in my life that are obsessed with Disney. I'm and, not obsessed with Disney, and I've I've never gotten into it. Like our girls don't know what Disney World is. They don't really know what yeah, Disney products yeah. are. They also didn't know what Schlitterbahn was. So we're not like we're not high school's time in Texas. Not we're <laughs> <laughs> so we're not like hitting it out of the park with like normal childhood experiences in my household. But uh, the only Disney thing I ever got into was because of my college roommate. Yeah. And it is a video game. Yeah. And it was. Uh, well, it was, yeah. In this game, though, like you, you can play as Mowgli from Jungle Book. Or yeah. you can play as Woody or Buzz or Mickey or, you know. Pirate uh, Jack Sparrow, or you know, it's like an amalgamation of all those. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And they, they, yeah, they have their own specific cart and and stuff like that. And and so, and you upgrade their cart, and there's different classes. There's Trickster, there's Speedster, there's Bruiser, you know, all these things, and and uh, and each one has their own specific set of abilities based on what class they're in. It's it's a free game and and it's a lot of fun. As far as watching, man, I'm not really I'm not really watching. I'm kind of just rewatching some old stuff. Uh, I'm kind of like in that space between where like I finished a show and I'm like, hmm, what do I watch now? So I'm 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 and and because I also have a long list of stuff to watch across the multiple streaming platforms that we subscribe to. Um, but there's, there's just, there's so many good options out there. I can't really. What about listening? Can you listen to any good music? Lately? My, my Spotify playlist is, is just like yours, man. I just, I find a song. I'm like, let's add, I've got a hundred songs on my playlist right now. Oh dude. Those are weak it's, numbers. Those it's, are weak numbers. And it goes anywhere from, you know, contemporary Christian to praise and worship to Eminem to Post Malone. I mean, I don't even have a whole lot of my like list on Spotify. But I got seven fifty seven this morning. Dude, that's not even in English, man. So that's an anime song. <laughs> so, oh, listen, I'll tell you what I have found that's uh, really, really uh, relaxing to listen to uh-huh. is it's a it's an acoustic Zelda playlist. So I did a I did acoustic a, guitar. I did a lo-fi anime playlist where they play like they get one of the lo-fi uh, mixers and they lo-fi all of the anime songs I listen to. And so it's one of the most smoothing things. My wife hates it. So uh, yeah, that sounds a little weird, man. <laughs> but uh, I'm kidding. I'm just picking on you. I see how it is. I see. How, I will say though, I didn't. You, do you man. I didn't. Uh, I as far as. As listening to stuff, I didn't say this earlier when I was going on my turn, but we're going uh, a couple days after we record this. Me and some friends are going up to Denver to see uh, 
a ska band play. That oh, nice. So, Which one? Uh, it's Streetlight Manifesto, but they do an all-acoustic set. Oh, cool. And when they do that, they call themselves Bandits of the Acoustic Revolution. <laughs> I mean, it's the most ska-sounding thing ever. Yeah. But it only gets better. They're playing in front of a full live orchestra, their yeah. whole album. That's cool. And so... They don't do this very That's often, good. and they weren't ever going to do it again, but they decided to do one more time like this, and so we're all going to go, and it's going to be interesting. I've never been in like a circle pit in front of a whole orchestra, Wow! but yeah. it's going to be an experience. Yeah, it will. It will. Well, as I've talked about many times, um, and, I mean, if anyone spent any time at all talking to me knows that I'm intensely passionate about building community. In fact, I, I believe that Eric is our chief calling as disciples. Our commission is to make disciples, not save souls. Uh, we talked about that before. Um, but maybe, maybe that's a, a later pursuit episode. You know, what is, what is our commissioning? What does it mean to make disciples for Jesus Christ of the transformation of the world? Um, I personally believe it means investing in people and building community. Um, but anyway, Eric, with you here, I thought we'd take a minute and just talk about that, about community. So, so let's begin with some clarifications. I'm curious, Eric, when, when you think of community, what do you think of? In general, I think of like, the first thought that comes to mind is like a small Texas town, you know, the courthouse downtown, all the people around it. Mayberry, America. Mayberry, America. You know, I, I went to seminary and the seminary is in this tiny town and it's it, it was as, on the surface at least, as picturesque as Mayberry. Yeah. In a tiny little central Kentucky town I went to school in. And, you know, that that's a mind that, the picture that conjures up in my mind, the, the, the white picket fence, the green yard, the nosy neighbor. Everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows everybody's business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think of that, you know, the, the small kind of rural life. I, I mean, I grew up in a town of like 12,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's my first thought of when you say community, you know, I think of, oh, like the place I grew up. And, and the TV show, Community, funny show. Oh, it is but, a great uh, show. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so, so I'm curious if, if we were to just ask people on the street, what, 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 what would society say about community? I think community has something to do with uh, shared interests, the things that stitch you together. Yeah, common ground over a shared interest. Yeah, common ground over a shared interest. You know, like I was telling a group of pastors this weekend at this retreat thing I was at, you know, there's community everywhere. Sure. The part of the retreat, they were like bemoaning the fact that institutions and organizations in America are dying right now. You know, look at the Rotary Club, look at Kiwanis, look at, you know, um, I'm trying to think of some of the others that are really, were really big last century, but are all just kind of slowly collapsing in membership numbers. Along with that is the church and, and the church as a, as an institution is going through kind of the same struggles. And that's part of the thing we're talking about is, you know, membership is down, attendance is down. And it's not just a kind of church. Sometimes people like say, well, the churches that believe this is down churches that believe that are down, but it's all across the board. The the capital C church globally Mm -hmm. is, is declining, declining. It has been for what? 20, 30 years. And it's, and it's not just the church. It's, it's all, all membership based institutions like that, except like Costco. And, <laughs> Oh wait, 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 wait. You're in Stephenville. You don't know what Costco is. I'm I know sorry. what it I, is. I, I I've never been in one. <laughs> Lord have mercy. You're about to have an experience. And become a Cedar Park. Uh, anyway. Um, so 
so with that, we were talking about that, and I said, I was sitting in a group table for a discussion with a bunch of older pastors, because my whole life is defined by most of the pastors I sit with sure. to be older. And as we're talking, and they're going on, like, where's there's a lack of community in the world. And it's like, there's not a lack of community. The community has just shifted to somewhere yeah. else. And I explained, you know, you can find community in, in, in a bigger, secular, societal sense just about anywhere, you know. Sure. There's communities that pop up around, you know, live streams. Like, you, you watch some live stream people that are, yeah. are famous for playing certain games. Yeah. And there's a, their, their followers, which number in the tens or hundreds of thousands, yeah. form a community around this person and them playing games. You know, I explained to them how people form communities around discords. And yeah. you, you get on different discords, and they, the discord has its own culture and its flavor right. and its and it, its own um, set of unknown but known rules. Like, they're the printed rules in most discords, but then they're, like, they're the unprinted rules that are like, you don't mess with this person, you don't say this, you don't yeah. do this. And, you know, one of the ridiculous examples I gave them is I own a Nissan Leaf, which is... Not the most exciting car in the world. <laughs> it is not the prettiest car in the world. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's honestly, it's endearing because it's so ugly. <laughs> like, it, it, it's a first generation. Like, you're listening to this. Go Google 2011 Nissan Leaf and look at the pictures. Yeah. It's, it is not a pretty looking car. It is the Honda Civic of electric vehicles. <laughs> and, like, I'm obsessed with it. And there's a whole community that's sprung up of Nissan Leaf owners. Sure. And they, they they talk about modding their car. They talk about the things they've done to it. There's there's uh, battery swaps. Like you do engine swaps in like a Honda Civic. There are battery swaps battery in a swaps. Nissan Leaf. And, and how, how do you put a custom <clears throat> battery in? Like, oh, my gosh, the communities are so vivid and vibrant and, and alive. And I love just reading and posting about it with people who are – are passionate about their cute little ugly car. And but those areas have community and they're organized around those shared values and interests. Yeah, but I guess I guess the question that, that keeps coming up in my mind is what sets a community apart and different from any special interest group or social club or or is there a difference? I think in a secular sense, like outside the church, I think not necessarily. A lot of those communities sometimes have elements of what we see inside the church. And I think people are drawn to those elements. Sure. But I don't think a lot of them replicate them well. So I, I, I go back to the car community and the part of it. It's like, you know, we'll try to give each other a helping hand. My car's making this weird noise. Oh, I had it fixed at the dealer. This is what it was. You know, blah, blah, blah. There's that element of self or uh, mutual care, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not perfective. It's just, it's surface level. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I feel like faith-based communities though, while, while we are all of those things and, and there's definitely things that you're going to find in a faith-based community that, that you can definitely find in other places as well. I mean, we, we don't have the monopoly on, just caring how people are doing, right? Oh no. Um, but but I think the way that society would look at special interest groups, social groups, any form of community, I think it can be a little bit different. Some of it's the same, but then than the way that Paul talks about community, 
you know, Paul talks about this idea where, you know, everybody's sharing everything. And he, he even goes as far as to describe a, a, a circumstance where, you know, he says, when, when one of us is hurting, we're all hurting. And when one of us is celebrating, we're all celebrating. And, you know, he talks a lot about the different parts of the body. You know, one's not more important than the other. And he, he talks about, you know, don't think of yourself better than anyone else. He, he's describing this, this space where every single person is turning to every other person and saying, literally, whatever you need, I'm here. And I think that's a difference. So, like I said, in, in, in like a secular community, we see those elements of the church. Yeah. And they're, they're surface level. They're not perfected. In a, in a healthy religious community, I think you see those elements of community at a higher or deeper level. And I wouldn't say they're perfected, but there's something more meaningful about them. And so we see that inherent in the community of the church, or at least the vision of Paul's community of the church. Um, right. There's a really good book on uh, Paul's take on community that I read the other uh, last year sometime, studying church structures and, and all that fun stuff that pastors read. And, yeah. And, and it, it was analyzing Paul's theology of community based on the different communities he was a part of in the okay. New Testament. And as I did that survey of Paul's view of community, a couple things keep popping up. And there's this idea of shared experience. Sure. You know, and you, you kind of alluded to that. Paul has this concept of shared experience where we share in each other's experience of this life. Yeah. Not just the good, but also the bad and not just the exciting, but also the mundane and that sharing stitches the people together. Right. And it, and for Paul, it comes from this, this theological space of a relational theology. You know, God is in relationship with us, not just in this abstract way, but in relationship with us in a, in a way that is, is meaningful and powerful through the actions and deliberate life choices of those around us. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, and I think, I think so many of our churches, I, I think, I think if you were to ask any lay member or clergy of any of our churches, they would all say without question, yes, we want to strive for this. This is what we want to be, um, both within ourselves, and we want to be this to our local ministry context. Um, but we also many times just fail. Well, I think the failure comes. The church always, in every age, gets mixed up in things it should be in. And you know, well, this is true. And, and in our age, we get mixed up into this this consumer mentality in the church. Yeah. And I actually, I, I preached a sermon a few weeks ago about this, so I don't want to, like, get on my soapbox. But, you know, we, we approach the church in our culture very differently than it's been approached in different ages. That's true. We approach the church with a self-view mm-hmm. as, as the predominant value. So we approach the church saying, and, and you hear this, this, this self-centeredness in church speak all over the place when you hear things like, well, that church just isn't feeding me. Yeah. I'm I'm not feeling it. I'm not, I'm not getting fed or or they'll even go farther and say, well, the spirit's leading me elsewhere. And which are all just various phrases to say or to communicate to people. This is about me. 
I'm not getting what I want. That's right. And, and part of that shared experience of community is you have to give up some of your self-identity yeah. to achieve it. And if you're always concerned about self in church, you'll never achieve that shared experience. That's one aspect of, of where we struggle with Paul's view of community. The other aspect comes from the institutional side. The church has really bought hook, line, and sinker into corporate values. Yeah. And, I, and I mean that in like the most American sense of the word possible. We, we look and analyze the data stream that comes out. You know, we look at the attendance numbers. We look at the, the number of, um, depending on your tradition, conversions, baptisms, professions of faith, whatever your word is. Right, right, we right. look at the amount of giving. We look at, you know, all these metrics that we follow. And, and it becomes a point where we have structured our institutional churches that they need that growth. So their business model, and I use that word very intentionally, mm-hmm. their business model can survive. Um, the largest churches have the most overhead in terms of business administration. Yeah. They need the most people to run them. They need the most money. And their whole structure is predicated that they're going to continue to grow numerically. Yeah. And so when that is your, your – as an organization, when you incentivize that – you, you have to, because we're human and we don't have an unlimited attention span, you have to de-incentivize something else. And what gets de-incentivized in those kind of institutions is, is depth and relationship. Yeah. And so they don't have the depth, the ability as an institution to go to a depth of level, a depth and level of relationship that normal, smaller organizations could go to. Because their organization demands the overhead, demands the bottom line, demands they keep pushing the growth. And on the other end of that, not to get off into the weeds, I don't know if this is a different issue you want to talk about, but for me, when I when I study trends in religion and I look at deconstruction and deconversion in America, that model, the, the self-centric model paired with a church institution that values growth at all costs, that is the foundation for why so many people deconstruct because it, it feeds the self-centeredness that we have on all of us. They come to that church, that church caters completely to that, that self view. But then what happens in every, in every person's life without fail every time is you will face a challenging situation in life. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care how rich or poor any you know, how well off, how privileged or unprivileged you are, you will face challenges, significant life challenges that bring about existential reflection. And that process, if you're not prepared for it, will make you question everything you believe. Yeah. And, and, you know, back to your, your comment about metrics. uh, I mean, I really believe that, our our distraction from our commissioning, right, to build this community that Paul's describing. Uh, I, I I don't know that if there's there's malice leading to it, right? I, I don't know that it's because because we have to have something measurable, right? We have to have something to say whether or not this endeavor is a success or a failure or effective, even. Um, and so there has to be some kind of metric that, we're, that or some measurable 
So, and, and, and I guess the easiest is, can you pay the bills? You got people in the building. Um, <clears throat> but it, it, to me, it, it, it cheapens oh, I agree. the religious value when we say that Jesus died to keep the lights on. No, no, I, I agree completely. Um, I'm not condoning it. I just think, I think that that is what has led to our distraction is we back to the business model, right? Yeah. We have to have, we have to have some, well, we've gotten to a place where we think we have to have some kind of measurable. You know, I, and I go back and forth on that because there's a part of me that takes comfort in the data. Like, you know, like any pastor, you know, I, I watch those numbers sure. and figures, you know, I get alarmed by them or I, I, I find comfort in them or, or I even feel lifted up by them. Like, wow, it's growing. It's doing good. You know, things are great. But at the end of the day, I, I also think the numbers for pastors and leaders can feed back into that self-centeredness that's rooted in yeah. all of us. Because you can look at the numbers, both on a good and a bad end. On a good end, you can look at the numbers and say, wow, I really grew this church. How great I am. Or at the other end, you can you can obsess over the numbers and look at how they're declining and, and things are not going the way you expect them. And you can awful what we'd say in psychology, you can awfulize. And you can look at it and say, oh, I am a complete failure. This is not going well. And you lose. It's funny. You're feeding that self-centered nature, but you lose yourself in, in that pursuit of data. But, you know, what if, what if we completely stopped focusing on the numbers? And just spent that time just investing in people. I mean, I mean, what if what if the numbers was never part of the conversation? Like nobody cares how many people you had at your event. How many people walked away different from your event? I think you're always gonna have the folks who who look at the numbers. Sure you are. And you're always gonna have the people that, that need that data. To understand because some people are just wired. God has made some people that way. That's just how they exist. Yeah, I, mean. I mean, have you met a CPA that doesn't love numbers? <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that's the thing. That's some people like that data. They take they take comfort from it. Well, you know, it's like <clears throat> it's like you know when people want when people say to me, "Hey, how are things going at the Wesley?" They're not asking how things are going. They're, they're asking that what they're asking is how many students are you having? And, and I always try to follow it up with, well, we've got this many students, but let me tell you the story about this, this student that mm-hmm. started coming and now they were, they once wanted nothing to do with the church. Now they're, now they're working for our conference for a summer. This one student that never went to church, but three times in his life. And now he's playing in our worship band every week. We baptize him in second semester. Let me tell you about this other student that, that just came to my house on a Liberty Day barbecue because his roommate said, Hey, I'm going to go eat some barbecue. Why don't you come with me? And now he's still active in our gaming ministry two years after he's graduated. Well, I just think I like, there's that one guy in the gaming group and like, he didn't even go here. He lives in a different town. And yeah, wait, which one? Well, I'm not going to say it on the air, but you know, <laughs> and so, Oh yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. And so, but like, and, and that's the struggle is 
we live in a world of institutions, but Paul's concept of community doesn't have a lot to do with institutions. It has to do with people and that shared experience. And that's right. And where we, I think we see the healthiest reality in churches in, in any sort of religious group is when we can create an atmosphere that has that shared experience. That's right. And it's something that people who are drawn to the data don't necessarily, they like the result of, they don't like the process to get there. Because the process, I think, to develop that shared community takes time and intention. Those are the two things it takes. It's not something that's going to happen in five or six months. Um, it's it's going to take, you know, years. In, at least in the church world, I know campus ministry is different because you got a bunch of supercharged 18, 19, <laughs> people in their early 20s, and, you know. But, you know, in the church world, it, it, it takes a lot of time to form those meaningful bonds so you can share experience. And it has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. You don't just fall backwards That's into right. that kind of community. It's intentional in the fact that you have to shift your frame of reference and focus from being on self to being on someone else. And for a lot of people in church, that is so difficult because they've been trained from the moment they've come into our society to be focused on self and the individual. Right. And the shared experience can only be had if you give up part of that self. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that 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 is where people struggle the most when that is what our whole Christian message so much to the world around us is. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and what's funny is, is we talk about it as pastors in these like abstract ways, like, um, like we are right now, but this, this, if you stop and you look at most of your human relationships, this is how it plays out. This, this tension between self and community. I mean, any fight I've ever had with a roommate was a fight about the tension between self and community. Sure. Like we had to share a communal space, mm-hmm. but I had personal views and values of self mm-hmm. that were unique to me. And the process of sharing that communal space, you know, didn't always mesh with those self views. Yeah, so you bring up an interesting point, right? You're, yeah. you're talking about this idea of, um, what is it, the, the two two objects kind of occupy the same space kind of thing? Like, yeah. Um, but when you have two physical beings in a physical space, that's one thing. And that that's where that's very clear, like, oh, this is happening because I want something, but this other person wants something in the same space at the same time. But... But then we have this new space that's come around, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the digital space. And so, so we have communities that are, that are building in this digital space, and there's not really any, there's not really as much of that collision of self and community like you're describing. Or, or, well, there is, but it's it's it's, it's just different. so different. It's different, and so can you have an authentic community in a digital space? You know, I think you can. Um, I mean, obviously, you can in some form because it's happening everywhere. No, I, I really think you can. I think you can have a deep and meaningful community experience the way we've talked about community, or I, I should say, the way that Paul describes community in a digital space. 
Um, I think what leads to that, though, is that you have to speak the same language yeah. in that digital space. And, you know, and just like any other digital space, you have this pull and tug, or just like any other space, the digital space has this pull and tug between self and community. And you, you see that pop up, you know, if you've ever been on like a large, like voice chat party and like, if you play games or anything like yeah. that, you, that's a normal experience. And you always have like one person who's like annoyingly making noise or something and they're more crunching f- chips into the mic. Crunching chips into the mic. I'm always, I'm, you know, that's one of the reasons I don't like eating chips when I play. You know, I'm super self-conscious and I already suck at aiming. So, like, I, I, I can't think about, like, oh, man, I've got to aim my broad-shooting healing beam at this person and to only have to generally hit the side of the barn to even make contact. But that's also hard for me sometimes. And I can't think about that and think about, oh, I put a chip in my mouth. Like, I right, mute my right. mic so I'm not, like, making the horrible sound in everyone's ear. But there's some people, going back to kind of what we're talking about, this, this shared experience, you know, you see the same things pop up in the real world that you see in a digital space. Sure. And that shared community pops up, and the tension, too, between self and community pops up. You got the guy who's punching on chips, doesn't have a care in the world, and, and the rest of the team is struggling because their whole input in the game, in the audio sense, through their headset and their, their voice chat is, is a shared community and, and they have the one person who is valuing self over community, and it's throwing the whole shared experience off. Well, you know, it's interesting as you say that, you know, um, and I'm thinking through this. Like, I think, I think in a lot of ways, the, the brick-and-mortar physical community, I think, I think the digital community has a leg up on them. I mean – because when you just say, we'll just, we'll stay with the church metaphor, right? You walk into a church to visit for the first time. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to have, hopefully have visitors greet you. You're going to have uh, signs telling you where the bathrooms are, where the nursery is. You're going to be given an order of worship, you know, and that sort of thing. And there's, we all, all churches operate under the presupposition that you know when you come to engage in this community how to talk, how to act, how to interact with one another, how to balance this self versus community and that sort of thing. But in a digital community, what's the first thing you see when you go to that page? What's the first thing? I mean, it just, it just depends. You know, I'm, I'm active on Reddit. and the What's first- the first thing? You go to that subreddit, the first thing. Community guidelines. Yep, community guidelines. And it spells out, hey, just so you know, and, and it's not it's not rude, it's not offensive, it's not negative, it's just, hey, just so you know, this is our expectation of you if you're going to be in this group. These are the bounds of our community. This is what our shared, the, yeah. these are the rules of engagement for our shared experience. But and we don't have that in church. We assume you know what that is, and then when someone doesn't do that, then we've got a problem. Well, a lot of the conflict happens in church in the physical space because we for so long have leaned in the church on society and we've lived in this, this, this pseudo Christian culture for the last century that in essentially imbued us with those, those guidelines as we were raised, even if we were raised outside the church. So you knew, wow, you don't cuss around the preacher. Yeah. You, you know, you don't do this. You wear your Sunday best. Like 
if you growing up, if you remember when you would go for your first job interview and you'd say, well, you know, back when those were done in person <laughs> and you'd say, well, how do I dress? I don't know yeah. how to dress. They wouldn't say business casual. What would they say? Dress like you're going to church. Dress. Yeah. Dress like you're going to church, put on your Sunday best. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting because I didn't grow up in the church, but I knew that. Sure. I knew what that meant. And so it was, is it was pushed into us almost by the culture, by force and that's gone away. Mm-hmm. And it's gone away rapidly. Yeah, but people don't dress up to go to church anymore. They don't. That one they don't. I mean, I mean, they I, wear, I, I mean they're not going to wear the, the, the cliche that my wife and I have. They're not going to wear their cutoff shorts and their Bud Light tank top. I mean, some might to, to different certain church, church settings, but but I, I just feel like I had a I had a uh, one of the churches I served the uh, one of the main. Families that financially support the church significantly. They uh, they were the first family to bring Coors to Texas. <laughs> and so one of my first weeks there, I was helping some of the little old ladies on our mission team load, you know, food they packed for the local school district. They did a weekend food program mm-hmm. where they sent food home on the weekends with underprivileged kids. And they were packing that. And I was helping them. Boxes were heavy. They were like 50, 60 pounds. It's, Little old ladies are carrying them out, just staying to the church, doing the work. And so I'm like, well, I'm a new pastor. I'll, I'll earn some brownie points. I'll go help them load all these boxes up in the car. And someone the night before broke in a bunch of Miller glass bottles oh, in the parking gosh. lot. And I saw that. And, and you're a new pastor. You're trying to gauge how sure. the people the church feel about things. You're, you're trying to buy into that shared experience. And one of the ladies looks at him and she says, and, and they're all looking at him, frowning, mostly <laughs> like, I can the glass up, don't want to damage our cars. And one of them looks at him, and she says, she turns to me and sees, like, I'm trying to read the room, mm-hmm. which is hard because we're standing in a parking yeah. lot. <laughs> and she turns and says, man, mm, pastor, look at those bottles. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. And she says, don't they know we're a Coors Church? <laughs> Community guidelines. Community See, guidelines. And Community guidelines are important. And wow, it's okay to joke about Coors here because it. We were well, the but that's Coors built. That's <laughs> one of the community guidelines. We here are a Coors community. <laughs> and when, and again, so back to that shared experience. You give up self to enter the shared experience, and um, but in the digital space, those are usually defined. And where we see the most problems in the digital space in terms of communities, where those the entry bar to that shared experience is not defined. Well, that's true. I mean, it's not. It's obviously not perfect. I mean, you know, the difference. You're always going to have those keyboard warriors, right, mm-hmm. in the digital space. Because going back to the difference between walking into a church on Sunday morning, if you for if you in any way step out of those community guidelines then you're not going to have somebody walk up to you in that church and say, you should go eat trash. That would be the nicest thing in the comment section. Exactly. But in the digital space, it's a lot easier for someone to just type the most, I mean, dude, I have had people send me messages from online gaming that I could not imagine any human being ever saying those things to somebody else. Well, and so that's one of the struggles I think in the shared community is if you can't give up self to enter that community and that shared experience, 
and you fully focus on self, you have no problem putting that kind of vitriol out. Right. Because inherently... Well, there's no consequence. Inherently what's happening is he or she or they or them or whoever, when they send messages or comments like that, are saying, I value myself and my emotional state. That's right. And what I feel your gameplay is more than I value you as a person. Right. And so that's the antithesis of this shared experience Paul talks about. It's it's a fully focused a person fully focused on self. Yeah. And and in the in the digital space though, you a lot of the the awkwardness that would prevent things like that happening, a lot of the the social anxiety is is thrown out the window because you can be sitting quite literally, you know, on the couch on your phone and do that. Yeah. And there, there feels like there's no immediate consequence. Well, because you don't have to deal with any kind of reaction or response. No, you you can type out the most vitriol thing, hit send, and it's gone. Close the app and go have dinner. Yep. And so, you know, in the digital space, I think there is this great opportunity for that shared experience mm-hmm. because now we're no longer limited by the physical distances that separate us. But also we have this new struggle because the digital space offers us the ability to fully focus on self. Yeah. And we, we see that pop up on our social media. So like I don't know if you guys how how much you or anyone else tracks changes in social media companies, but like a, a couple of years ago, how social media companies interact with oh, yeah. people changed. I don't know if you picked up on this, but if you remember a couple of years ago, you log into Facebook or Instagram, especially Instagram's a great example. I'm not a, I'm not a big Instagram user. I often no. forget I have Instagram <laughs> and then I log on like once a month. And I'm like, Oh wow. What's this new thing? Oh, it's Instagram. And it, it, you know, it, it's like a new day for me every day sometimes. <laughs> and you don't, you don't have to agree so quickly. <laughs> and so, and so I'll, I'll get on. But if you remember earlier, like a few years ago, you know, you can actually scroll on Instagram and you'd have a little check mark or pop up that said, you're all caught up. Yep, you're all caught and, up. And, and the, the feed was chronological based on what yeah, the people you, never you follow up, put on Instagram. Yeah. So, and same thing with Facebook. They, they had this feed system where it would populate based on the, not completely chronological, but based on what the people you were friends with put on their accounts. And then came TikTok, and TikTok didn't have a feed system like that. TikTok had something completely different called a For You page, FYP. And the FYP used an algorithm to kind of feed what the computer or the AA thought you would like. Well, but that's that's not what started that. That goes all the way back to Facebook adding the like button. Oh, yeah. They added the like button, and then... And now the algorithm is this beast that's like, oh, you like this, you like this, you like this, you like this. Okay, I'm going to show you this. And so when I say that we have a great opportunity for shared community because we know we can close distances we couldn't sure. close before. Like, I, I've been gone from home for like three days now. And every multiple times a day I have a video call with my children. Sure. And, and had my parents traveled for work when I was around, there's no way. Right. Like, there's no way we could have kept in touch. Yeah, we talk when we can, yeah. Yeah, and so... That's that's part of the great opportunity, but the the great, I guess, temptation, if you want to use that word, is this fully focused on self. And not only is the great temptation there to focus on self present, but it's actually what's being fed to us yeah. by the automation. So 
we we like things and we fall into these bubbles where that's all we see. And you know, you know, I'm I'm pretty active. I'm not a huge poster on TikTok. I'm more, I'm more of a watcher. Yeah. And but but TikTok's really bad about this. Their algorithm is if you heart or like certain things, mm-hmm. it will show up. Oh yeah, you see a bunch of. It. You will see it. If all you like time. one, you'll get four. So you know, if you ever have a pastor who's complained, why are all these scantily clad women show up on my TikTok? Well, it's because he likes <laughs> someone at one point. And so it, it's funny because I've always had old pastors tell me, oh, I don't like that app. These these half-naked women just show up. I'm like, buddy, they only show up there. <laughs> just an algorithm. <laughs> because you watched it. And But I don't ever say that to them. Yeah. I'm like, that would be super awkward because we're in person. When we're talking. Right, right, yeah. And, but, but, but seriously, <clears throat> that – that temptation is is one that's so easy to feed because right. it's so easy to only see what you like. And that every time you do that, every time you fall into that pit, it reinforces the value of self. Right. And it makes it harder to give up self to enter into a shared experience. So, and, and Roke, I know we're running kind of long. Um, you mentioned earlier um, about an individual that used ChatGPT, an AI service, to write a worship service. Oh, yeah. Before we started recording. Yeah, we had a – I'm trying to pull the article up right now. There was – someone brought it to me yesterday, or not yesterday, last week in worship, after worship, doing the typical pastor thing, greeting people out in the lobby, shaking hands, you know, not high-fiving everyone I've made <laughs> eye contact with. And – and one of the one of the ladies pulled up an article from a, a local ABC affiliate, KVU. I'm in the Austin metro area, mm-hmm. and and this pastor near me in North Austin, somewhere near me, of a small church, had ChatGPT design the whole service and sermon for him. And he and he went with it, and he ran with it. And he said they probably had an increase of 20, 30% of people, not because of the content, but because they knew he'd publicized his ChatGPT service. And so uh, his takeaway, his big takeaway, and he read it word for word as ChatGPT spit it out. So like some of the sermon notes are hilarious, like some excerpts. He he started the sermon with good morning slash afternoon slash evening, (laughs) everyone, and welcome to church name. Welcome to church name. And, and his takeaway was that theologically, uh, for those of you who studied worship, like it, it, it checked the boxes theologically for what should happen in a worship service. Yeah. And part of me here is that it's like, man, doing better than some pastors. I mean, <laughs> and but on the other end, he said it was it was it was awkward and lifeless. Yeah. And there was something missing. Yeah. The human element. And and I think that human element, you know. I, I have a, a professional development coach, a cognitive coach. I forget what he calls himself. And, I'm the same one. And yeah, transparency. You have the same <laughs> one. And so, one of the things we have to talk about is this, this dichotomy between transactional and transformational. That's right. And and I think when that lady was sharing this story with me and I was talking to her about it, I think a G- ChatGPT led service is fully transactional. Yeah. Like you get something, you give something. There's a transaction yeah. that happens. It lacks a transformational experience. That's right. And I think in terms of community, it comes down to that. And it lacks that shared experience. Chad right. GBT hasn't experienced this human stuff we go through. Right. Chad GBT hasn't had to sacrifice part of themselves to buy into the communal group. Yeah. So. Wow. 
Wow. Well, that's a lot. <clears throat> I think, I think, I think in short to, to kind of sum it all up is, can you have community in a digital space? Yes. Can you have the same kind of community as you can in person? Yes and no. Um, I think, I think there is, I think there is some deep intentionality needed on both sides. And, you know, um, I, I think, I think we could, I think we should get to the place where we normalize community guidelines, right? Um, and, and it's not to say these are the do's and don'ts of you coming here. That's not the point, but I think it is important to, to just kind of let everybody know, Hey, this is, this is our covenant as a community. This is how we're going to interact with one another. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything groundbreaking. It's, hey, we're going to love God and we're going to love others. Well, I think what's really interesting in, in wrapping up is like old, old what we call liturgical worship, like old school yeah, traditional yeah. worship. They, they did this. If you ever run a church with your grandma and uh, you stand up and they might play a hymn or two and some piano music. And then they do this funky thing we call call to worship. And then at the end of that section, they would do something called like an affirmation of faith. Yeah. So if you're like Methodist or vaguely Protestant, that's a great vaguely de- Protestant. That's a great defining <laughs> value. Please define vague Protestantism. I'm vaguely Protestant. I'm, I've maybe watched a Protestant <laughs> service on 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 TV or you know. And on the next episode, Eric's going to go end up defining vague Protestantism. <laughs> but you know. Stay tuned <laughs> for the one listener. Left. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm never bringing you on this podcast again. I appreciate your your love. <laughs> we stop share. touching the knobs on the soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, anyway, so if, if you're vaguely Protestant, there's a the set, first section of worship would end with some sort of affirmation of faith, and yeah. it, and usually it would be the Apostles' Creed. Even a lot of non-Christians still know parts of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, blah, 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 blah. And, and where that functioned in worship was to be sort of a guideline. Like, these are the beliefs shared by this body of people who have gathered. And what's really interesting is when you begin branching out just from the, the Apostles' Creed, you know, if, if your pastor really hates you, you might say the Nicene Creed. <laughs> It's so long. You're, you're, you're up there, and it's as awkward for us in the pulpit oh, yeah. as it is for the people. Oh, so you're yeah. still talking, and you're like, Lord, like I even want to go to lunch now. And But there's a difference, though, right? Because, you're yes, there's one thing for a community to say, this is together, this is what we as a community believe. But the community guidelines in a digital community – they don't say that at all. They say this is how we are going to behave and interact with one well, another. Well, what's interesting is theirs is posted in static. Sure. And, and that one is more, it's a part of a service, so it's a little more live and vibrant. The other thing, too, is like in the church, we have a terrible time of being abstract. So we're, those, all those affirmations of faith are like abstract doctrinal statements. We believe this grand reality. And, and you walk in and it's like, so does that mean like, I can wear my cutoffs to worship today. Now you have the image yeah. of me and cutoffs leading worship. Congrats. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, you it, but you know, it's, it's that. And so we, one of the things we struggle with is that abstraction. And so the guidelines, like on, a, on a, any of the subreddits, I'll go back to the Nissan leaf. Cause I love my little car. Um, 
electric Honda Civic, pretty much. Same thing, the same annoying community of people around another car that is not worthy of such praise. <laughs> I'm about so, to give you some Adderall, man. we got to wrap this up. <laughs> but anyway, if I go back to that, like, the guidelines are more concrete. Like, yeah. we don't talk about other cars. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to talk about Honda Civic, go to the Honda go Civic to their form. They're there for you. This is where we talk about the Leaf. <laughs> this is the this Nissan Leaf, not the Honda Civic. <laughs> and, you know, and it's stuff like that. I'll like, tell you about my Dodge Ram. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 Why did you get me? Does it feel like to drive an F one hundred and fifty? The funniest TikTok channel in the world is that channel. <laughs> anyway, on that so, yes. lightning bolt, yes, um, I think uh, yeah, I think you can and absolutely do have community in the digital space. Um, I just think I think on both sides, digital and brick and mortar, in person, we can do better. I and, think that's what it needs. Is that intentionality? Yeah. And like I said, man, I just keep coming back to it. Normalized community guidelines. They're already out there. You may as well just embrace it. Yeah. Use it. Use the tools. Oh, man. Wow. Well, we have this. This episode has been a ride. <laughs> You have experienced every emotion in that 10 episodes. Uh, you know, and, and as always, I like to, to talk about the West a little bit. You can go to our website that I'm currently working to update, overhaul, uh, renew, refresh, www.tarletonwesley.org. Um, and if you really want to partner with us in ministry, we would love for you to do that. You can click on the resources tab and click donate if you want to make a donation to the Wesley. Share this podcast. Go to go to wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcast, and drop us a rating and a review. We'd Spotify. love to hear from you. Spotify, yeah, that's, that's where the vast majority of our listeners get their podcasts. Look at the analytics, but yeah, drop us a like, drop us a review, a rating. Tell us what you think about the podcast. If you have any comments or questions, uh, shoot me a message on Facebook. Shoot me an email, Corey C O R E Y at tarletonwesley.org. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like for us to cover, send me a message, um, and we will we'll do our best to get to those stuff on social media. Well, I think that is going to be it for episode 007 of this, The Pursuit. Special thanks to Reverend Eric Douglas for joining me today. Eric, any other thoughts, ponderings? I shudder to say this, but any other random brain droppings you'd like oh, to talk to <laughs> no, no, us with. No, I'll leave you at that. If you, uh, you know, if you have any questions, want to, want to tell me I talk too long, you know, I get that every Sunday. You can always hit me <laughs> up on, uh, on various socials. Yeah. Um, you know, Pius Punk 23 on yeah. Twitter. Now X, um, now X. Yeah. Get it at, right. At Pius Punk 23 on TikTok. Um, I don't remember my, my Facebook one. It's probably your name. It's probably just my name. <laughs> anyway, but it, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Well, and with that, we are out. And remember, you matter. Because you matter to God, you matter to me. And the world is definitely a better place with you in it. So I encourage you to go out today, spread positivity and joy, and change someone's world. Deuces, we're out. See you. <laughs>